This is uh, Paul's vision of the man of Macedonia. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter um, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen this vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight uh, for Samores. And uh, next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman's colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Titeria named Lydia, a dealer in a purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me as a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Father, we thank you for your word that's been given to us. And we pray that as we look today, that you would speak clearly to our hearts. Show us, Lord, uh, how Christ is the star. Lord, we, we want to take a passage like this oftentimes and make it about Paul or make it about Lydia. But, Lord, we believe that it's Scripture, and so the main character is really Jesus. And so we pray that uh, even as we see the, the church uh, being birthed and moving around the world in Acts, Lord, we know the, the point really is what is Jesus doing. And so we, we really want to see that, and we, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and uh, help us, Lord, to even think through those things in our lives uh, as we go through this today and as we move through the week as well. So I pray, Lord, that you would help me to decrease, that you might increase in this place. We ask that you would speak to our hearts or change us and mold us and make us, Lord, more like you want us to be. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sebastian. Here's, here's the first thing I want us to see as we, as we look at this text, and that is uh, coming from verses 6 through 10, the part where Paul has this vision of the man from Macedonia. It's this, the Lord directs his people. God directs his, God directs his people. I'm, I'm not really sure about you, but I've never been in a position where uh, God just appeared to me, right? It's just not, that's just not happened. I've never had an angel come. Uh, I've always, always asked God for this really clear, specific, right? I, I just think about the way the Lord spoke to Noah and the way that the Lord spoke to Jonah and different people. And I think, Lord, if you would just say really clearly, I would build a boat, right? Because he was so clear about go and get this kind of wood and make it this long. And it was just so specific. And I, I've always wanted that uh, sort of thing. Or when the angel appears to Joseph, he says, get up and go to Egypt, right? It's just really, 
really clear, and it's not been my experience. I think that it still happens sometimes. Please make sure you hear that. I think God still speaks really clearly to people that way. I just haven't personally experienced that. And so one of the things I feel like we see in this passage is that God's communicating, but most of the time he's communicating in ways that really aren't as uh, easy just to put your finger on, right? This is, the, this is the thing that happened. I saw a dream, and in this dream, the man said, come over and help us. We get that once, but two times we get this other kind of thing where it's just saying in verse 6 that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Luke doesn't tell us how exactly they were, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit, just as they were forbidden, and so they didn't do it. So when they can't go into Asia, it says that they tried to go to uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus doesn't allow that either. Paul says, let's go this way. The Holy Spirit says, no. He says, okay, let's go this way. And the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit again says, no, no, that's not, that's not it either. And it's a little frustrating, right, that I would like to know exactly how the Holy Spirit was communicating these truths to Paul's heart or to the team to say, we're not supposed to go there. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to do that thing. My, my, opinion, my opinion as I read this and as I think about how God deals with people, it's that the Holy Spirit's just speaking to Paul's heart. If you've been around the church for very long, maybe you hear people say things like this, I just didn't have a piece about that. Anybody ever heard that? That's a great little Christianese phrase that people use. I, I just didn't have any peace about that, right? I have just unsettledness in my heart where I think I'm free to do that thing, but I just for some reason don't feel like I should do that thing. So maybe he was uneasy or maybe Paul just didn't feel like he had uh, freedom. Uh, one of the, that's one of the things that people will say in Kentucky. I, man, I just don't feel like I have any freedom to do that, right? We have, in a sense, freedom, do whatever you want to do, right, in this ministry. But then there's a, another place in our hearts where we just think, I just don't feel like that's the thing that I'm supposed to do right now. However, though, it happens in Paul's life, he knows that he's not supposed to be going to those places in particular. And we, we don't love it, but listen, it's just as important when God gives us instruction to not do something as it is when he gives us instruction about something that we are supposed to do. I don't, I don't think that that's most of the time. I think the cliche about Christianity is that it's a lot of rules and things that you're not supposed to do. I don't think that's true at all. But I do think there are times when God says, don't do that thing. And when he says, don't do it, it's just as important as when God says, you should do this thing. In verse 9 and 10, then we see Paul having this vision, right? He says a vision appears to Paul in the night. I think a vision is different from a dream. I think God speaks through both of those things. I think Paul here has a vision. It appears to him in the night, and this man of Macedonia is standing there saying, come over and help us. The, 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 immediately, the team says, we're called to go to Macedonia, right? Paul has this vision, and they say that's what we're supposed to do. And so what I love about this, uh, we'll look at it in just a minute, they get a word and they start to do something about it, right? They get, they get direction, and, and, and sometimes it's, it's direction that we should do something. Sometimes it's direction that we should stop doing something or that we shouldn't do something. But uh, the, the first point is, is just that God gives direction. He did it in the Scripture. He does it with all of his people, and I think he still does it today. I think he gives direction about lots of things, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Here's the second thing. First one's God gives direction. Second thing is this. Paul is strategic. Paul's strategic in his obedience. This is the, the thing that I love out of verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Two, really two things I love about this. First, 
The guy says, come over and help us. Come over and help us. And the team knows we got to go preach the gospel to them. Right? The, the man the, in the vision, he's not saying, Paul, please come preach to us. He's saying, come help us. And the, and the team knows, they know clearly God's called us to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel to these people. But they go immediately. They don't seek any kind of, they don't hesitate. They don't do anything um, about that. You'll hear stories all the time in uh, church circles. Man, I feel like God's called me to do this thing or that thing. And as soon as I get all my debt paid off, I'm going to do it. Right? Or as soon as I find the right wife, or as soon as I find the right husband, or as soon as I find the right whatever, I'm going to get off and start doing those things. But Paul and his team say, God called us and we're going to get about it. And he's strategic about that. Another thing, Paul's ministry pattern had been this. He goes into a town. He goes to the synagogue. He starts to minister and preach in that synagogue, and that's where they take off. But he's moved into this Gentile area, and so there is no synagogue. So in, in any town, they needed 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. And there's no synagogue in Philippi. So there's not a real significant, not a real strong Jewish population that's happening there. They don't even have that synagogue. So Paul had been there. That, would, that's, that was his normal pattern, go to the synagogue and then uh, go out from there. But no synagogue. So what does Paul do? Look in verse 13. On the Sabbath day... We went outside the gate to the riverside, right? So they're leaving the city. They go out of the city to the riverside where we suppose there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So they would need some water, right, for these kind of uh, cleansings that the Jews would do as part of some of their worship. And so there's no synagogue. What does the team do? They, they think, where are people who fear God going to gather? Let's go there. And so they say, we, we, uh, we think there'll be people out at the river and so... They get up and they go out by the river. This is one of the beautiful things about the passage. And where I say Paul is being strategic, Paul did not need to go to the synagogue to worship. He didn't ever need to go to the synagogue and worship. Paul did not need to go out to the side of the river to worship. Paul was working and he was being strategic. He was saying, where am I going to find the people that God is drawing already? Where am I going to find the few Jews that are here? Where am I going to find the Gentiles who are God-fearing people? Where will I find them? Maybe out by the river. So let's get out by the river. And so he's working. He's not just getting up on Sunday morning and thinking, what do I need? He's thinking, what, is, what does the community need, right? And so whatever this strategy would be here, it's going to be different, right? But Paul's Working, And so he gets to the river, and they find these God-fearing women that have come out to pray. And they find these ladies, and they sit down, and they start to talk to them. This Again, we're talking about Paul being strategic in his obedience. Why did he sit down? Because he had come to tell people about Jesus. Paul had come to tell people about Jesus. He wanted to share the good news. Paul wanted everyone to be walking with God. And so the goal wasn't to go find where people were. And then just join in with them or go find where people were and observe them, right? Paul was coming to tell people about Christ. And so he needed to go and engage them. And so Paul gets to this place. There they are, finds the people. He sits down and he starts a conversation and he starts moving along how he can share with them. Because the goal wasn't just to find the people. The goal wasn't just to be in the midst of the people. The goal was to engage the people. And so he engages them and starts talking to the ladies and this really brings us to what I think is maybe the, uh, the thing that should be most freeing for us in a passage like this, okay? The third point, only God, listen, 
only God can open people's hearts. Only God can open people's hearts. Luke says it this way. He says, the Lord opened her heart so that she would pay attention to what Paul was saying. So it's, it's, it's critical for us to get some clear direction, right? What's God calling us to do? Like in your, in your work, I'm not talking about just moving or any of those kind of things. I'm saying that when you're working in your neighborhood, in your family, God, what are you doing here? Get some clear direction from what he's doing. It's, it's important for us to get direction. It's important for us to obey, for us to obey the things that God's saying to us. Those things are critical. It's wonderful for us to be strategic, right? When we're moving to a new place, if we say, what kind of people do I want to interact with here? And we can choose a neighborhood like that. We want to be in a uh, an apartment complex, or we want to be in people that are around people that are like when Alice goes off to California in a few months, right? She needs to, she needs to be thinking like, what's God going to use me to do? Reach students? Then she needs to go and find a place where students live. If she thinks God's going to re- use me to reach a lot of Hispanic people in California, then guess what? She needs to move to a Spanish-speaking neighborhood where Spanish-speaking people are so that she can reach them with the gospel. She has to think about those things. It's important to get direction. It's important to obey it. It's important to be strategic. But listen, unless God draws people, unless God draws people, their hearts will never, ever be changed. And here's the great freedom. Because we, we worry so much about, oh, what's God calling me specifically to do? Or what is it? How is it I'm supposed to be just strategic enough? And we don't pay enough attention to this fact. There's so much freedom. We're just, we're out. If we get out and share and love people and encourage them and, and, and tell them about Christ, God will be opening people's hearts, right? It's not our responsibility to convict people of sin. And so when I get out and I have an opportunity and I'll say something about, about sin or we're talking about something and people just are not moved by it, I don't have to have any pressure on me to say, man, I got to get this lady to understand what a sinner she is. Because that's not my responsibility. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And I've done that. I've done that plenty of times. I remember I was with a guy from Bangladesh one day, right? And, uh, and I'm t- I told him the gospel, and I got all the way through it. And I said, this, do, you, do you understand that? And he said, I do. I understand that. I said, do you believe Jesus died on the cross? Went through the head? Do you believe all that? And he said, yeah. I think that. I think that. Would, you, would you personally like to believe it and be changed by it? He said, no. And I think, how could you believe this and not want to be changed by it? So I started over right at the beginning. <laughs> Went through the whole thing. And he's just like, and really, I, I, I got this picture in my head, and I've used it over and over, that when you're driving a nail into a board, at the point that the nail is in the board, you should just stop hammering on it. Because all you're going to do is tear the board up, right? But this dude from Bangladesh, he just, I got the nail in, and I said, what do you think? And he said, no. And I just, <laughs> I just kept Pound, 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 pound. I thought, you can't. What do you mean no? Right? I I can't open that guy's heart. There's just no way. And so I find this freedom in realizing I don't have to to save people, right? I can't save people. And so we get this beautiful thing that only God can open hearts. He does that in Lydia's heart so that she opens and she pays attention and she believes the thing that he is saying. Let me show you two other passages really quick. Another one is uh, by Luke. It's in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It starts in verse 13. We're, we're not going to read it all, but you, so you may want to go back and read kind of uh, over this later on. It's a great picture. Jesus has died on the cross on Friday. He's been raised again to new life on Sunday. And this is on Sunday after he's come back to life on the road to Emmaus. 
And so there are a couple of disciples who are walking along this road, and then Jesus comes along and joins them, but they don't realize it's Jesus. And they're talking about what's been happening, and Jesus says, what are you talking about? And they said, what, are you the only guy in Jerusalem, right? So when people say, oh, no one knew, right, this thing that was supposed to have happened, No, they're saying, are you the only guy in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on these last couple of days? And they start telling him what's been happening uh, with Jesus. And we we thought he was going to be the Messiah and all these sorts of things. And then let me show you. Down in verse 25, Jesus says this. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all that the scriptures, all, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they're walking along, and Jesus is saying, Moses said this, Isaiah said this, Jonah said this, and he's just telling them all these scriptures, and he's speaking to their hearts, but he still doesn't reveal who he is. Then in verse 30, It says, when he's at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gives it to them in verse 31, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then it says he disappeared, and then down near, oh, it's in verse 32, when he vanishes, they look at each other and said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? When he opened to us the scriptures. Right? There's a place that these guys are following after, but they're just not getting it. And Jesus deals with them in such a way that their hearts are open and they're, they're seeing things in a way that they've never seen things before. And they said, man, when he was teaching, my, it was like my heart was on fire in my chest. Let me show you the other side, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is, I think, what we deal with probably more often, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So in the first picture, right, we're talking about this. God opens people's hearts. He opened those disciples' hearts and their minds so they could really understand. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Here's the one I want you to see in verse 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So for people who are separated from Christ, Satan has blinded their minds. And unless God tears away that veil, you can tell them for a million years and they will not understand it. You can tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them, tell them. But if God doesn't do a work in their hearts, they're never going to be able to hear and believe what you're talking about. This is the beauty, I think, of what we see with Lydia. It says that God opened her heart so that she would pay attention because I believe it takes away all of the pressure that we feel about evangelism because we think, I have to, man, I tell people, but they don't want to believe. And so instead we say, God, I told them, but obviously you're not at work or you're not at work at this moment. How many people here, when you heard the gospel from the very first time you heard it, you said, I want that? Right. See, when I heard it the very first time, I would think, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? Are you kidding me? How's that supposed to impact my life at all? 
And so when we hear it, right, sometimes we, we really, but we feel like we should go out and we should just, we should be able to share with somebody on the bus or at the car wash and when they, and they're just going to fall down and be saved. And sometimes people are, right? Uh, I, I still remember um, we were in uh, Glasgow one time, we were playing basketball and we got hot and it was, okay, let's take a break. We take a break and we start talking to this guy and I share with him about Christ and he said, you know, I've never, I never believed that. I, I want to be, I want to believe that. I want to follow Christ. I'm like, what? What? No one ever wants to believe it, right? And so I'm like, let me, and then the same thing. I think, let me explain this to you again. Maybe you're, maybe you're not understanding it. Sometimes you share with a person at the bus stop or at the car wash or whatever, and they're like, yeah, my God's spoken to their heart. And he's opening it, and, and they're just ready. Most of the time, I think that's not the case, and we don't have to feel pressure about that, right? We love people. We share Christ with them. When God opens their heart, they believe, and when they believe, listen, then we, we work with them, and we walk alongside with them to help them grow up in their faith. We don't open hearts. Only God can do that, but we will, last thing, we will never find open hearts if we don't talk to people about the gospel. We'll never find open hearts, Right? I have all the different books and friends and people who say, you know what, I just live my life. And when, uh, when, uh, when people really are interested, God's going to draw them and they're going to ask me, they're going to ask me, why, hey, why are you so different? And I'm telling you, in over 20 years of living for Christ, I've had that happen to me one time, one time in 20 years. Someone's come that I worked with every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. And they said, there's something different about you. What's different about you? And the door was open, I can share about Christ. In 20 years, it's happened one time. So I'm not saying it never happens, but I'm saying most of the time, that's not the way it works. We share, and people are intrigued, and they say, let's talk about that. Or they say, that's really stupid. And then they, at the end, they say, I had a great time. Can we have lunch again next week? And you say, yeah, let's have lunch again next week. Let's go and have tea. And we'll keep talking about these things, right? We're never going to find the Lydia's that are around us if we're not doing that thing that Paul's doing, strategic, going out and trying to find those things. Here we are. Since these things are true, right? Because we know the Bible is true, because we really believe that God's directing his people, because we can be strategic in the kind of things that we're doing, because we believe that God's opening people's hearts, here are three things that I think we can do, and then we'll be finished. First, Listen, listen, God is directing his people, so I would ask us this question, are you listening? God's directing his people, so are you listening? In uh, uh, Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God, we talked about this a few weeks ago, it says God speaks through his word, the church, circumstances, and, uh, and God speaks through his word, the church, circumstances, and through the Holy Spirit to glorify himself and, and to let you know his purposes and his ways. God speaks through, you're reading the scripture, and God says, in your heart, the Holy Spirit, that's true of you, or that should be true of you, or that's not true of you, right? I, I was reading Matthew 9 a few days ago, and I just said, I'm going to write down the things that it says about Jesus. And I wrote like 25 things. He's redeemer, he's forgiver, he's a lover, he's a teacher. And it was just amazing the kind of things that it says. And there are places where we'll read it, and God will say, you're not doing that. Or you should do that. Or you're doing the right thing. Continue doing that. He might even say, tell the story too and give you some direction, right? You're praying, praying, praying about God's will. And then you think, oh, I just can't get this person off my mind. God's giving you some direction. Are you listening? And when you receive that direction, here's another question. Are you going to obey it as nearly, as immediately as you can? Can you just get it and then, and then obey? 
That's the first thing. So listen. The second question is this, and I really, I really hesitate to say this because I think that I fail so miserably on this next application thing that I'm, I'm hesitant to say it to you. But so just re- I'm going to say it to myself, and then you, you just see if there's any application in your life. Here's the second thing. Do you know where you're headed? Do you know where you're headed? Paul was really strategic in what he was doing. The steps he was taking are because he was trying to achieve something. So I would ask you, th- I would ask you this, and I'm asking myself this. In my spiritual life, where am I headed? Where am I headed? Like, what is God doing in my spiritual life? Because I'll just, I'll just find, I'll live, and I'll go through the day, and I'll lay down, and I'll just, I'll think, well, I'm one day closer to dying, right? That's what I accomplished today. There, there are times I talk to our kids, and, and whatever it is, we'll, we'll buy a watermelon that day, and it's a, man, it turns out to be a really good watermelon, and I'll look at the kids and say, that's the only thing I accomplished today. I got a really, really good watermelon. And they think that I'm kidding, I think. But when I'm laying in bed, I'm thinking, Lord, what am I doing? What am I doing? Where am, where am I headed? Where's all this going? And so I think if you're going to be strategic, that's probably something you need to think about in your life. Spiritually, where are you headed? What's God doing in your life? So listen to the first one. Do you know where you're headed is the second one. Very last thing is this. Turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. So just a few uh, books over, you got Acts and Romans and Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. So listen to the first one. Do, do you know where your head is the second thing? And then the third one's this. Work with all of his power. Work with all of his power. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says this. Him we proclaim, right? This is about Christ. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. But here's the, here's the verse, 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he works powerfully within me. Because we have, sometimes as people, the thing that we just think, well, I just need to work harder, man. If I was more spiritual, if I prayed longer, if I read my Bible more, right, and it becomes about all these things that we're doing, and I think, I think that the truth is, are we working with his power, the power of Christ? Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. And so I would say this, are you resting in God's power? Are you allowing God's power to be working through you, or are you trusting in your own ability? Are you resting in God's power? Are you trusting in your own ability? Because trying to do it ourselves only brings about failure. We can't save ourselves. I love that story that, of the, in the video where the lady's just saying, I thought they were here spreading some fairy tales and nonsense. But how many times have I heard stories where somebody got a Gideon Testament and they threw it in their car or put it on a bookshelf or it went in a box and 10 years later, they're digging it out and God's speaking to their heart through that thing. You can't save yourself. You have, to, you have to come to fact with the terms like this. I am a sinner, and when I'm sin, I'm offending the creator God of all the universe, right? The most high God, I'm coming against him. But that God, that God, the creator God, the high God of all the universe is saying this. I'm willing not to count your sins against you. I'm willing to wash those away because of the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, so we're sinners. We realize that we're sinners, but God's willing to forgive me. He's chosen to forgive me, and we receive that. Everything has changed. That's not about my power. That's the power of Christ that's working in me. Believing the gospel frees us 
from trying to work and earn God's favor. You can't do enough to earn God's favor. You're just never going to be good enough to earn God's favor. So you trust in his ability to save you. And when you trust, right, when you get to this point where you just say, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you, like that lady said, even when you're getting to the point where you, where you say, I'll give you 30 days, right? We, give, we put God to the test. I'm going to give you 30 days. That is when we start to allow his power to work in us. And the natural overflow of that is that we start sharing with those people around us how they can be free too. Lydia, she comes to the end of the story. She's not saved. She's not satisfied just to be saved. Lydia's not satisfied until she says, my household needs to hear this. Right? And there's a lot of debate about that. What's, that. what's that mean? Did she have kids? Did she not have kids? Was she married? Was she not married? I don't know. But whether that's her, her kids and her grandkids or whether that's her employees that are in her household, Lydia was not satisfied. She was baptized, and then the people in her household needed to hear that too so that they could believe and they could be baptized and they could be changed, or they could believe and be changed and be baptized. That's probably a better way to say that. Let me pray for you. And then let me just encourage you. If you're in this place where you're saying, I'm working hard, I'm working hard, I'm doing all the stuff that I think I'm supposed to do, and I just don't feel like I'm making any progress, then would you just say, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to trust you. I want to be, be strategic. I want to be doing things. I'm not, I don't want to just be floating along, but I want to be trusting you. If you're in a place where you say, like me, some days, many days, maybe most days, spiritually, God, I feel kind of aimless, then just pray and tell him that. And say, I really want to understand what it is that you're doing around me so that I can be part of that. And if there's an important kind of conversation that you need to have today, have it before you go. We, we, we're dying to have those kind of conversations with you. Where you say, I've been trying to save myself and I realize I can't do it. Or I'm trusting in my own ability, my, my natural talents, those things that make me super successful at work. I've been trusting in that in my spiritual life and I feel like it's letting me down then let's talk about that before you go today. Father, I thank you for these saints or the people that love you. And God, I thank you even for uh, some of those who would be here who would say, I'm a God-fearer. I'm really not inside yet. I'm really not committed, but but I'm pretty close. And so we pray, Lord, that you would open hearts. And we pray, God, that you would sustain those of us who are, uh, are in Christ and yet we still feel so weak some days. God, would you sustain us? And would you give us real direction in our lives? Would you help us to be strategic, Lord, in how we apply that when we look out across and see every tribe, tongue, language, and nation represented in JB, that we would think about the Nepalese that are here and that we would think about the Bangladeshis that are here and the Ebons that are here and the people from Myanmar that are here and the Malay that are here and the Tamils and, and Lord, the Hokkien and the Cantonese and those Kadazanduzun and, Lord, all of these people from Vietnam and Cambodia and, Lord, just all over the world that are here, God, from Sudan and from Yemen and from Iran, you've just brought people from around the world. So God, would you help us to be strategic in how we love them so that they can come to know the gospel? And God, even greater than that, would you open hearts so that people could believe you? Would you change them? And then God, through that, would you change us as well? We pray your blessings on our families this week as we go about our work and our life and our parenting and other things that we have, Lord. In all of these things, we want to bring honor and glory to you. 
We pray, Jesus, that your name would be glorified, that, uh, Lord, we wouldn't just be talking about Melbourne becoming a city that follows after Christ, but that the world would be looking and say, God did something in Johorbaru that changed the face of Asia. Lord, we pray that there would be such an explosion, such an outpouring of your spirit in this place that so many lives would be changed, that, Father, the scales would just tip and that more and more and more and more and more people would be added to the kingdom. God, we want to be a healthy church that's seeing people added daily. So we pray that you would bless our families and our homes and our work, and would you bless the ones that are here today. And even as we prepare to go, God, would you go with us and be glorified in how we live. We thank you, Lord, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.